This is Story and Rain Talks, the Story and Rain podcast. I'm Tamara, founder and editor in chief. After over 20 years in the fashion and print magazine industries, I launched StoryandRain.com, the digital fashion, beauty and wellness, entertainment and lifestyle publication. And on this podcast, you'll get inside the story with the tastemakers and the trends that matter right now. From the actors you enjoy watching in TV and film to the most influential fashion and accessories designers, the costume designers responsible for all the on-screen style that makes its way straight to the streets, the beauty pros who set the trends in hair and makeup, the culinary creators who dream up all you want to eat and drink, the wellness experts who innovate in self-care and more, it's conversations with creatives, and we're exploring the origins or game-changing ideas and careers with those who are pushing culture forward. As a catalyst for creativity and through candid conversations with our community of cultural arbiters, we're your resource for discovering today's most interesting people, projects, and products with our high-low approach to style and the belief that magic exists in the diversity of mix. We're going to inspire you to live your most stylish life. Get inside the story right here. It's Story and Rain Talks. For this week's podcast, I sit down with Mina Stone, the chef, cookbook author, and restaurateur who mashes up fashion and art with food. What could be better? Mina got her start working in fashion at our friend Claude's legendary magazine, Trace. And on the podcast, Mina discusses her early years and how fashion turned to food when she was introduced to New York City's art world. She tells us all about her first big gigs, what fueled her confidence, and the blind faith of youth that proved to be life-changing for her. We also talk about the early influences of home-cooked food and her Greek heritage on her cooking, her years of cooking for artists, and the title of her first cookbook, and how artists approach perceive, value, and enjoy food. We get granular with Urs Fisher's Cuisine Deep Dives, discuss the discovery of a list of Elizabeth Payton's loves and hates. Saziki, yes. Mesclin Greens, no. And Mina recounts the details and impact of her work in recent years, working with and telling stories of food through the artists of PS1. She shares what she's learned through her restaurant there, what she likes to wear in the kitchen, and her latest obsession with Caribbean culture and flavors. We get into the importance of color in everything from food to her personal style, some tips and dishes for entertaining, her brilliant list of favorite things, and more. Here is a great conversation, the very cool story of the incredible Mina Stone. Hi. Hey, Mina, how are you? Good, how are you? Good, good. Good to talk to you. Mina, when I received your book, Cooking for Artists, at the yearly RX Art event, uh-huh. which I believe you also catered, mm-hmm. I was instantly intrigued. Take us back to how and when and what for how Cooking for Artists came to be. You've since published another book, but take us back to that time. Um, wow, that was a that was a while ago. I can't believe how long ago that was, you know? Yeah. I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember getting the book. I do too. I love the people involved with RX Art. I love Diane Brown and I love my friend Patrick Bradbury worked with Diane Brown. Bradbury yeah. loves PR. Like the sweetest people. Um, so, okay. So that must've been in like 2016 or 17 or something like that. My first cookbook I published with Urs Fisher and 
And I think he was, he was also a part of that. Guest of honor at, at that event. That's right. So it was a good pair. It was a, a good pairing. Um, and yeah, so I, I actually started my career, if you could call it that at the time in fashion. Cooking for Artists came to be where I was working at Urs Fisher's studio. You know, years had gone by that I had been working at the studio, and Urs had sort of played around with this idea where he kept sort of mentioning, we should make a cookbook together. We should make a cookbook together. At the time, I was really sort of focusing on my fashion career, and cooking was an outlet, a, a way to support myself. So I... I kind of would be like, yeah, yeah, let's make a cookbook. But but then it actually was a serious proposition. And that is when I was like, this is an incredible opportunity. I really want to do this. And it was a very pivotal moment for me because I actually stopped doing fashion altogether. And I only focused on doing the cookbook and only focused on cooking. And we made the cookbook. It took us about four years. What we needed was a big deadline and we got the deadline because uh, we released it in time for the LA Book Fair, and yeah, it was a, it was incredible working with her. Was there a recipe or dish or two that sparked the idea for the cookbook? Was it? Were there any particular recipes that were like, oh, this is why we're doing a cookbook? These are our favorite things. This needs to be in this cookbook. I think yes, definitely. It would be dishonest for me to like pick out a few recipes. Right. Like, there's definitely some recipes that people make over and over again. And like the general, now that it's been released in the world, but at the time it was, I think we were both feeling like this is special. We should document this. Uh, the people at the studio, you know, I was cooking anywhere from eight people to 30 for 30 people every day. And, um, it's a fun project and a document of time, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Now let's go back some, Mina, what was early life like for you in Greece and in Boston before you made your way to New York to study fashion at Pratt? How was food and cooking present exactly? Food in my life was present, but I growing up, but it was very sort of on the periphery. It was as I got older that I really started paying attention. So I grew up in Boston. My mother's Greek. My dad's from Ohio. And um, I lived in Greece when I was little and I would spend all of my summers there. And my grandmother, I mean, like a lot of Greek women, but my grandmother was, you know, up at five every morning making the dish that we were going to eat for lunch. Um, and I loved it. I loved watching her. I loved being around her. Um, and you know, same with my mom in Boston, she would cook a lot. And I remember as a teenager, I'd be like, mom, gross, you're putting too much olive oil and stuff, you know? And like, it's just like weird. I remember all those weird, um, conceptions that you acquire through media where you're like, that has a lot of calories or or stuff like that. Right. Um, and she was cooking the way that she grew up eating, right? I was around a lot of traditional food and I just, right. you know, just wasn't really paying attention or appreciating it. But, it, you know, I realized how ingrained it was in 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 my being as, as I got older. Um, so. I left Boston, I went to college at Pratt and. Um, 
I realized, I realized too how ingrained that was because I thought food was really like, I was really upset by the food at college and I would sort of <laughs> go to the cafeteria and pick anything that was raw and bring it back to my room and cook it in the microwave. And it was like the closest I could get to making a home cooked meal because I didn't understand the concept of how. Yes. Wow. That's sort of, yes. How- when it really sank in about in terms of the way you had been eating was so far different from what this cafeteria experience was. You were eating these really deeply home-cooked meals, right? Yeah. And there was always that, you know, there was almost like a doctrine of like eating out too much or, or even eating out is sort of like generally bad. Like my grandma used to pride herself in the fact that she had never eaten out in X amount of years, which was like a little like too much, but (laughs) (laughs) What were the first few things you started cooking for the friends in your life? Things that they just loved. I think that probably was my mom's recipe for macaronia mikima, which is the Greek meat sauce with cinnamon and cloves and spaghetti. I mean, that is, it's been like tried and true since I was young to this day. Yeah. How did you know you wanted to go to fashion school? I was a a pretty nerdy kid that like sat and looked through fashion magazines. Like I wasn't like a stylish kid that looked through fashion magazines. I was like young and very nerdy, but like very into clothing. I love that. (laughs) And I would sketch all the time. And then I started making my own clothes and. So you had a knack for sketching. Yeah, I had a knack for sketching and I I really had like a lot of ideas and I liked working with my hands. So I liked sewing. I liked, yeah, you know, I remember in seventh grade, there was a home ec class and we sewed a bag and I was like, this is fun. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I don't know. It was that moment of youth of faith. I was like, I want to go to fashion school. I want to go to art school. It felt exciting for me to be able to say that to people too. And so it resonated. Right. I have this thing that I love and I makes me happy and here, go head toward it, pursue it. My mother was not pleased. I wanted to go to fashion school too. My parents made me go to school, like go to college first. And then if I wanted to go to Parsons. I would do that after four years of, of like a liberal arts education. Did you? I actually did. I did four years. I was an English major. I minored in French and Russian. Um, cause I had gone to an international school here in New York. Mm-hmm. And when I got back to New York, I had like a terrible job that I hated and it just sort of propelled me right into that thing that I knew I was like, this is not a hobby. This is what I want to do. And I had no connections to fashion. I went for an associate's degree program at Parsons at night and I waitressed through Parsons. I got an internship at Interview Magazine, which then became an an assistant position of my dreams. So I quit the the degree program. Um, Are there any other creatives in your family, Mina? My dad... um even though my dad was a psychologist, he's retired. He was a poet. Um, he's a poet and a translator of Greek to English poetry. So I would say he was the cre- real creative in my immediate family. Yeah. And and my mom too, she didn't work, but she, you know, she's got that mind. What did you love about studying fashion and the world of fashion that you were surrounded by at that time? 
I love the people that I met. I met, you know, I think people kind of make broad generalizations about every world, like, oh, the fashion world or the art world. And, you know, and some of those are true, but some of them are not because I think you can meet your tribe in whatever industry you find yourself. Um, so I met incredibly wonderful people. Um, I was, that's probably my, that was probably my favorite thing. Are you still connected to them today? Some of those people? Well, it's funny because you brought up Interview Magazine, but I, I don't know if you remember this magazine, but there was this magazine called Trace. Yeah, of course. Oh, my God. Trace was my friend. Claude? Claude Grunitsky. So Claude and I reconnected at PS1 two nights ago. I haven't seen him since oh. I was like oh. years old or something. And yeah. I- Claude was Trace and Claude, of course. Of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, if you talk to him, give him like a hug for me. I will. It was, he's it the was, best. It, it was like an extremely moving experience. I, I think I, I saw Claude be moved too. I, you just took me back to some big trace magazine party and a, and a loft in the financial district. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. It was just, yes, that was my first fashion inter- internship. And uh, I was going to ask you, about that. That was my next question for you was you've said that being a fashion intern kind of sucked. We talked about the fact that I was an intern too. You know where I interned. I just shared that. You can imagine some of the things that I dealt with. I think there's there there's all sorts of fashion interns, right? There's right. people that work in showrooms. When you're working at a magazine like a trace or an interview, it's a whole other thing. Um why did it suck? Well, Trace did not suck. Actually, Trace was super fun because yeah, but it was like it was like me and Christine De La Seuss and and so yeah. I didn't really mind like running the errands because I was like in a small team, direct contact with her. You know, the fashion internships I did sucked. I mean, I have this memory where I'm literally carrying. I mean, this is also, I think, in our generation, this is like before. You know, there's like laws that interns need to get paid and you know, like all these things. And I just remember being in Midtown, like carrying the the old school Mac computers, like not even knowing if it was okay. a computer, you know? Yeah. And <laughs> I remember that I just remember working my butt off and and not getting paid. And it was kind of relentless. And then there's one time I got like Sharpie on somebody's desk and it was, I was scared. <laughs> oh, the intense days of fashion. I've, I've said that, I think I've talked about this before on the podcast. You know, if I think about those days, you know, the Versace's would come to our office and I was like sent to Dean and DeLuca to try to figure out like what their coffee order would be and like run and like buy all these coffee and pastries for the Versace, literally for the Versace's and figure it out and use my own money and that kind of thing that happened. Um, I remember being on the subway with millions of dollars worth of Cartier jewelry on me, on my person delivering that. And of course, you know, the millions of garment bags on either arm on the yeah. subway transporting that. So I totally get that. Yes. I had read that you said that being a fashion intern sucked. And I was, I was <laughs> wondering what that was. Um, did you learn anything in that, you know, during that time in the world of fashion that you kind of, that stays with you today? Yeah. I, I think that it's <clears throat> an energy 
I approached fashion with and that I applied to my cooking as well is that I really wanted to design and be in touch with things that I wanted to wear. And I found that that had a, a, has a really broad impact. So it starts on this personal level, but in the end, um, has a really far reach. And so when I look at cooking sometimes and I think about menus and I think about how the entirety of my cooking career sort of took off, I, I think to myself, well, I was like, what would I want to eat under this situation? And then it had a broader appeal. Um, I love the idea of that. I know you said you were working in fashion and started cooking to support yourself, but when exactly did your life turn towards food? How did the opportunity come about exactly? And what did you cook that very first time? So the time I completely abandoned fashion was when the cookbook came out, as I mentioned, working with hers. But before that, the very first thing I, I was doing fashion, I was doing that beautiful thing of youth where I was just saying yes to everything. So I was cooking for friends or people I'd met in fashion that were opening stores or or something like that. And at one of those, and this is how I got started in cooking and in fashion actually, but one of, one of the stores that was opening this woman owned and she asked me to cater the opening and I said, sure. And it ended up that the long story short, the director of Gavin Brown was at this little store opening, asked me to cook for 40 people. And I said, no, (laughs) I mean, I didn't know what, I didn't know much about the art world at all. I had no idea. So that's what, so fashion and art kind of, that was going to be a question for me too, kind of converged in a way, fashion, art and cooking just mashed up. And then you, yeah. Yeah, it did. Um, and like kind of coincidentally, I mean, I guess, and that's a part of New York I like, you know, you put, you just like run around a lot and, and you'll always meet interesting people. Um, and what I cooked uh, was I made chicken bouillabaisse and I think some kind of a rice with like currants or nuts or something like that. And that's what I remember. That's what I remember the two things from the very first time I cooked. Delicious. Professionally, in a way that took me on it. Delicious. I was going to say, you know, that is the beauty of New York. It, you know, it landed you in this very specific place to be in New York City, a mecca of art and prolific artists. What gave you the the confidence to set out to make a living based on something that you weren't formally trained in? Do you think? Good question. I think I was just. it, maybe it's just the best kind of innocence because I wasn't unconfident, but I wouldn't say I was confident. Like I just didn't really know what I was doing. And you were just, or were you just seizing an opportunity? I should do this. Yeah. I was just like, Oh, this is a lot easier than fashion. I don't want to, I don't have to wait six months to get paid. I, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I like to do this. I do it. I loved how fast it was. I loved that I could work on something for two days and then leave and start over again. Um, so, and I think that, you know, what gave me confidence is that I didn't feel like it was my career. So there was no pressure. Right. 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 And I remind myself of that. Right. Still, like I did a dinner that, that, that Claude was at two days ago. Oh, Claude was at a dinner of yours. Okay. Yeah. And 
And I was getting stressed out about it because I get paid for this because I've published two cookbooks because, you know, and I was like, expect a certain thing from a Mina Stone dinner. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, stop. (laughs) I was like, I have to do that sometimes and remember to take the pressure off because I think it honestly doesn't make the food very good. It's great advice. Also, what do you think you possess? What gave people trust and confidence in you when it came to the first big dinners you were in charge of and also in creating your first cookbook? What is it about you that made people very confident about what you could do with food? A good question. I have no idea. I think about this a lot because I'm like, how did they get like, I was so young. Like, why would they ever give me this opportunity or think that I could do it? (laughs) Um, and I would say that was probably really special to Gavin Brown and his, his gallery at the time. I don't know, but I think that they liked the food the first time I did it, I could do it. Um, and I think it was this, it was a sweet moment. I don't know. It was a sweet moment. I think they like found somebody sort of like young. I was sincere. I didn't really like, I was just sort of like into what I did and creative. Yeah. And that, and that was it. We talked about what made you trade away fashion for cooking. Uh, Will fashion bubble back up for you now or in your future? Will you incorporate fashion into your brand? Well, I don't think I ever want to like design aprons or anything. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I do think about it. I mean, if I hadn't discovered cooking, I loved fashion. So I would have, I would have kept doing it. Maybe if somebody like approaches me and is like, Mina, we're going to bankroll a small line that you want to design. I would totally do it, (laughs) but I probably wouldn't do it again if it was of my own, you know, my own volition. Yeah. All of the, all of the things would need to be. And I know exactly what I would want to design too. I, you you do. I do. I do miss it because it's, again, it's what I would want to wear. Well, speaking of what you would want to wear, I'm curious about this as somebody with this passion and this love and this experience in fashion. What do you like cooking in? Can you describe that from head to toe at home alone? And then also at an event or party at home, I like to cook in a caftan. (laughs) (laughs) But you have a lot of stained caftans in your closet they're all really patterned i've found oh that's another good tip cook in a pattern caftan right like the more crazy the pattern is the better because like no one can tell anything um and then at work i like to cook in a jumpsuit because i i feel like it's utilitarian and i feel like when i'm in a rush the day of an event and i get up i I love that you're asking me the fashion questions because nobody asks me this and i don't get a chance i had i had to i said we have we've got to talk a little bit about fashion before we get into the other stuff um yeah and i'm just like surprised that i actually have more to say than i would think so okay so for an event i'm like i want a one-stop shop and i want it to be like a jumpsuit in and of itself is is a little more interesting and different than you know some other choice. So I feel like I'm still expressing myself a little bit through what I'm wearing, but it's totally functional, utilitarian, practical to work in, 
and everything. I mean, I personally could see a line of cooking jumpsuits. How fabulous would that be? That would be cool. Um, How does fashion live in your life today? What kinds of clothing and accessories and pieces do you gravitate toward? Um, Fashion exists in my life today in like two polar extremes. And I'm really trying, (laughs) I'm trying to like marry them. I've been thinking a lot about it. Um, On one hand, it's like I'm fully dressed up, right? Because I'm going to to some event or a party or something like that. And on the other hand, it's like the other opposite where it's this like very utilitarian because I'm going to work and I need it to function. Um, and the in-between is sort of missing for me right now. Interesting. Uh, yeah. How do artists eat and approach food? I think that artists, well, I'll start with the approach. I, I think artists approach food with, a, uh, for the most part, a really deep sincerity. Um, and I think that their ethos towards food completely relates to everything else they're doing in their life. And I think that you and their work. And I think that maybe you could like push that out and have it describe everybody. But I do think it's very beautifully represented in an artist like the way they approach food or they cook or they think about cooking is very much aligned with how they approach their art and their thoughts about the world um and how they eat is i'm like very literal answer just like everyone else (laughs) 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 but you know the dinner and the the dinner after an opening is very very ingrained in the art world more so than uh, other other things. And so there is, it's, it's, you know, there's a seriousness to it. It's important. Yeah. It's really important. Can you name all, or at least a handful of some of the artists you've cooked for and also maybe some of what their favorite dishes are? One of my first cooking jobs too, was for an artist named Elizabeth Payton. Love Elizabeth Payton. And she was very formative for me. I actually found the list from my very first chat with her about what she liked and didn't like. And like, I remember for amazing, she wouldn't, she was like, mean, I don't like mescaline mix. I don't either. I don't either. And, and I thought that, and I think about it a lot because I never use mescaline mix. Not, I don't need it either. And I was, <laughs> even aesthetically, it's, makes so much sense to me that you know the idea of like this kind of really generic thing that was created like put in a box that with no flavor yeah yeah and like not to knock it if somebody likes mescaline mix at all it just like makes sense it made a lot of sense for me and 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 then I was like I never use it now (laughs) you know um I cooked for Urs Fisher for for many years and Urs really loves everything and is somebody that gets into really gets into things you know so like you know it would be like oh this is gonna be vegan month or Thai month or we did Jewish American cooking for a month which was like after a week I was like we gotta stop I can't do this not (laughs) I love Jewish food but it was like really heavy (laughs) yeah you're like I need to go for a jog or a run (laughs) (laughs) I was like specifically Jewish American food is delicious it's delicious, but it's like matzo ball soup, roast chicken and like brisket, you know, and, you know, things like that. Um, what other artists have I cooked for? Yeah. And what, what might, what might've been a favorite dish or two? <sighs> um, 
so I remember Elizabeth loved when I made my tahini sauce with everything. That was a really long time ago. Um, it's my favorite. Urs, one of Urs's favorites was the avro lemono, the chicken soup with lemon, mm. lemon um, eggs. That very Greek traditional dish. And yes. Is there a through is there a through line in terms of common tastes and requests and desires, or are artists' tastes just as varied as their individual visions? I find, yes, it's a little varied, but I do find that most artists sort of like seek a sense of authenticity. And so I think that that's what made me good at my job that like allowed me to be good at my job because I could tap into really what I wanted to cook, what I felt good at. Have you found that food tends to be a focus for artists? Oh yeah. And if so, why? If so, why? Um, <clears throat> I definitely think it's a focus for artists and why is because it's a way of creating community it is, I think, a warm experience and ritual that I I would assume can be really grounding if you're kind of like, you know, thinking about shit all the time. Yeah. And um, yeah, I th- I think that's my guess. And I think it's this really easy way to like connect to like your sense of being it's like a way of of touching back to like oh like this is who I am this is this you know it's beautiful it's, it's more simple how did the opportunity for your restaurant mean as at ps1 take shape well it's interesting I, I remember it had been about 10 years that I had been cooking at Urza studio and I was like a long time a long time I loved the job but I was like okay I like I gotta move on there's more to do. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember around that time, PS1 approached me and, and was like, would you be interested in taking over the restaurant? And um, it's actually similar to the first time I cooked for 40 people. I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, and then I thought about it and I was like, you know what? <sighs> The worst that can happen is that I fail and I learn a lot. Anyway, so then I then we had a bunch of meetings and I decided to do it. Yeah. How has being an entrepreneur in this way changed your life? It really, I mean, it was like a crash course in learning about the restaurant industry in a somewhat safe space. So I think, uh, and even though it's been really hard, I mean, we had we had just opened up three months before before COVID. So it was yeah. it was really like a a, cra- a crash course in learning about the restaurant industry. Um, and yeah, I just I know a lot more on how hard it is. Um, but it's also wonderful because you get to I guess as an entrepreneur, you, you kind of get to run the show and, and set the tone. And, um, and I feel really proud of that aspect of it at, at the cafe, at the restaurant. Does the difficult task of being a restaurateur ever suck the creativity and love out of things or does it fuel it? 
both. Sorry, most annoying answer. Yeah. Both. No, no. <laughs> I mean, many times it's it is pretty. It can be really life sucking. Like when you're too when you're too busy. I think anybody understands this. If you're working too hard and you're burnt out, it's very hard to be creative. You're kind of trying to get through it. Um, at the same time when there's a balance, it can be super inspiring because it's like your little space. I mean, that's how I feel. I'm like, this is my little space. I'm like, where can I go to get, um, you know, this salad and this, this tea that I like. And I'm like, Oh, at my restaurant, (laughs) (laughs) my place. Yeah. Yeah, At my place. And I look forward to, I look forward to eating there and changing it to, and I get really excited about something I, I traveled or I researched or something like that. And then I can, you know, add it into the menu or, you know, we've also been working at, I've been working with um, artists at PS1. A lot of them deal or use some food or ingredient or it's somehow related into their artwork. And we incorporate that ingredient into the the menu at the restaurant. And so that's really inspiring, you know, it's like such a, what I, a unique experience to be able to have in terms of, you know, tied to cooking and what you do. Yeah. And yeah. it does feel like a really wonderful and I couldn't have imagined it, but it's a really wonderful progression, you know, for, for really integrating in a way that feels sincere to me, the, the art and the food component, because, you know, before it was like, yeah, I cooked for artists, but I wasn't an artist, you know? So people would ask me this question a lot. And I was like, I don't know. I just like, I cook for artists and they're, they let me do whatever I want. Your video series Cooking with Artists began just after the COVID-19 pandemic began in April of 2020, I think, right? Can you talk a little bit about what that series is? Sure. Um, I love that series a lot. It's really dear to my heart. I learned so much from it. It started because we shut down. The museum was like, how are we going to continue? And like, how do we keep the restaurant alive? Um, what if we do a cooking show? People were throwing around ideas. And at the time, people were going crazy about cooking because we were all crazy, crazy. And and I remember feeling like I don't want to do another cooking show. I want to figure out the reasons behind people are diving into cooking so much. Like why is everyone leaning on cooking during this time as a way to occupy themselves? Like what is, what is the uh, emotional aspect behind that? And so that's what we were talking about. And then we thought, okay. And then the natural relation there is to interview artists about that. Um, So it was incredible because when you ask somebody, an artist or a regular person, a recipe or a dish that means a lot to them, everybody has that answer. And it's always interesting, no matter what. Um, and so that was what the series was about. It was it was a personal look into an artist. It was a great way to get to know the artist because it ends up being a pretty personal question. And it helped me learn how food can be a conduit and be related to so many different things. When you reflect on the series, were there any big takeaways or dishes or food memories that were shared that you continue to think about? Yes. Um, I, I really continue to think about how food can be emotional, how it could be traumatic, 
how it can be political, how it can be comforting, how it is an incredible source for one's identity. Um, and I, I make a lot of the dishes that the artists shared all the time. And as I know, don't really use cookbooks. So it's kind of interesting that this was actually the format where I was, I really actually learned new dishes and, and make them a lot. You've said, we were talking about the artist, Elizabeth Payton. You said, I cooked for the artist, Elizabeth Payton for many years. And she said something that always stayed with me. Pay attention to what comes easily to you. Sometimes we ignore that thing because it seems too easy when in fact, it's exactly what you should be doing. What else did she share around that subject? I think it's so true for creatives of all types. Yeah. Came up because I was doing the thing in my mind where I was like, but fashion, you know, and I can't give up fashion. That's when she said that she was like, this comes so easily to you. You know, you should, this is what you should be doing. You're really good at it. And and you're not noticing because it's very easy. It's, it's very, it's so true. I think that happens. Like I said, it's so true for creatives of all types. Yeah. How do you think you get your best ideas? How do they come to you? And do you record them in a specific way? Um, I usually jot them down. Um, it's, uh, they come to me when I'm, I have a sense of like rest. And when I travel, it, it really usually is those two things. There's something, I know a lot of people feel this way, um, but traveling just, I'm like, oh yeah, there's that ingredient in this dish and in, in this thing. And I just always come back so inspired. Describe the people, places, and things that inspire you. You talked a little bit about travel. Are there people, are there places, are there things that continue to inform your work and inspire you? Um, For sure. I mean, I would say it's it's pretty equal. It's not really about me like visiting a place, like the drawing inspiration from the same place. I mean, of course I, I draw a lot of inspiration from, from Greece, but um, I think it's also easier for people to think of me as a Greek chef. Cause you kind of have to put it under a category. <laughs> I don't necessarily feel that way about myself. If someone was to have a conversation, like I am Greek, I make a lot of Greek dishes, but no matter where I go, I'm like, Oh, you know, like I go to Miami and I get really inspired and I like try making, you know, Cuban food for two weeks and it ends up coming out kind of Greek tasting. But, you know, (laughs) it's exciting to think about the different ways, you know, of cooking and to be in a tropical place and to use those different ingredients and maybe in a similar way. And usually also when I travel you're reminded of the fact that all cuisines are so interconnected that yes. you the same thing. And it's, it's a nice analogy for humanity in general, that we're really all interconnected, but different. And um, yeah, we just, we just actually went to Grand Cayman. So I'm really on like a tropical, I was going to say super Caribbean place. So what are you feeling right now in terms of Caribbean vibes and Caribbean flavors and tastes? Um, well, I'm like, 
I see a green juice in your hand. I'm like, I'm like, oh my God, having a smoothie in the morning. Oh yeah. That's so. Oh, right. A smooth, right. That is very bright. <laughs> but like, I don't like the Los Angeles smoothie. I need it to be like the Miami <laughs> Cayman smoothie. So like, I don't know why. Um, okay. So, so me and my husband were really into making curries. We brought back all this curry powder. From of course. I can imagine what great curry you brought back. And yeah, and rice and like different, you know, I just, I just went into a deep dive into cassava and using it to make bami, bamis, which is like mm-hmm. a Jamaican little delicious cassava cake. And I, oh my God. So Yeah. The t-shirt you're wearing, it looks very tropical to me too. I know. I'm having trouble letting go. Like yellow and green and red. It feels very tropical. Yeah. I'm having, I'm having trouble letting go. Um, I'm like, should we just, should we just move? (laughs) (laughs) Here's a mini quick fire kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Describe your personal style in colors and textures. I'm like a, I'm like a crazy a Versace lady or something like I like um I like patterns I like bright patterns bright colors I look I like to kind of look sort of like crazy <laughs> so I like hot pink or green or purple or I really also like being patterned and monochromatic so like it's so it's like you know a crazy pink print with you know dark pink pants is like an example. Um, that's like my ideal. Like in my mind's eye, I would dress like that all the time. Very Dries Van Noten in a way. Oh, well, and one of my favorite designers. So it's the same. Yeah. And yeah. And again, I guess I just have these two sides. So it's, so it's like, well, that's one of the sides, you know, like the caftan print crazy person. And the other one is sometimes just being really subdued in simple comfortable stuff and it's usually black and describe your cooking style in colors and textures I would say that color is very important to me when I'm cooking and I get really put off when everything's beige or monochromatic so I think that it signifies balance in the food that you're eating that you're kind of having you know, different food groups. And that's what color signifies to me when I'm cooking. And I think visually, I, um, I, I think it's important. Like when people say, you know, I don't care what it looks like as long as it tastes good. It's like, I hear you, but I also, um, I can't do it. It's gotta be colorful. Before we wrap things up, I wanted to have you share a couple of tips and ideas with us. For example, what can be prepared ahead of time and put out just before guests arrive, something beautiful and delicious and impressive to have and focus on even before dinner or a cocktail party begins. It's beautiful and delicious and impressive. I think it would be, and we, you know, we do this at the restaurant a lot, but I I like to do like a meze with vegetables and olives and bread. And so you kind of get all this color and, and every single thing you can make ahead of time you know, and have it just be ready to go. Um, and 
it kind of like touches on all the notes. It's like the olives are really savory and the bread is like, you're like, I'm hungry. I want like bread and olives, you know? And then there's also a, the dip or like a tzatziki or something like that. And the vegetables for like, after you've had your kind of hungry moment, you can like step back. <laughs> what would you make for a brunch and also for a dinner? And we'll of course post each of these recipes. Mm. Um, launch your podcast what are we doing for a brunch and then what are we doing for dinner you obviously are an expert and in in working this working the season in that way so okay the first thing that pops into my mind is this muffin that we make at the restaurant and the recipe is in my first book we've just tweaked it a little bit and we always put seasonal fruit in it and this was the first time where I was like, what are we going to put in it? Because this is, there's no, like we're in between seasons <laughs> and they were complaining at the restaurant. And anyway, so we put in raspberries that are frozen into the muffin and we put rhubarb, which is the very, very first thing about spring to come out. Um, it's like pre-spring end of winter vegetable. And so it's pretty, it's a really amazing muffin. And recipe. Something I made the other day was my go-to chickpeas and like the chickpea stew. And I like any green that's coming out now to be included in it. So I like add a bunch of like late winter pre-spring greens. So like spinach, you might be able to get some spinach right now to put in it. Um, or else you can put in like kale or chard and just make it really pretty and healthy and add in one either either veg. Okay. As we wrap, Mina, we do this with every guest on every podcast. What are your six obsessions right now? What are you, what are you into? What are the things that are in high rotation in your life? Um, okay. I know you've been asked a lot about your favorite things, but what's happening for you now? Well, they're new. They're all new. Yeah. So it's kind of based on what we talked about. Yeah. Um, So I'm really obsessed with Grand Cayman and the Caribbean. I love that so much. So feeling it. I get it. I get it. it- yeah. Um, so I've been like reading a lot about the history of them and the food and, you know, the all the different people that these islands have been colonized by, but then like what that's turned the food into. Um, so, so let's see. So the hotel I stayed at at Grand Cayman, I'm obsessed with. What is it um, called? It's called Botanica Grand Cayman. I am obsessed with it because of cooking, because I stayed there. I have a six-year-old son. And actually, originally, it wasn't because I was like dying to cook. But I, with a six-year-old, staying in a hotel with no kitchen is is a nightmare. Yeah, I bet, especially for someone like you. Yeah, like it's just like I can't go to a restaurant with a six-year-old three times a day. <laughs> this is like torture. So they have it's just a really beautiful hotel. It's really thoughtful. It's like these bungalows, they have this really beautiful kitchen in them. And it was so fun to go to the the farmer's market in Grand Cayman and bring back, you know, they have a lot of farms on the island. So you could go to the farmer's market. We got honey and there's a lot of crossover, you know, there's greens that are um, also used in Greece, but cooked completely different. Which greens are we talking about? Style. Um, it's called Callaloo, which is. Callaloo, yeah. Yeah. Which is 
actually amaranth and in greece it's called vlita which is mm-hmm. you know when you go to a greek restaurant and it's like horta or you know it says that yes. on the menu that's what it is. yes so i'm going to the dominican republic next so is my weeks. brother in in a couple of weeks with his family really? yeah oh cool and yeah. i'm going to i'm going for the mecca art fair which is one of my friends has it started this fair so i'm really excited about that and i'm so that's excited. exciting that's fun yeah, he's from the DR and it's the first usually at the fair in Puerto Rico and it's the first time he's doing it in the place where he's from. So I'm I'm really into that. Fab. Um I'm super into this cookbook. I keep reading it in bed at night. It's called Motherland by Melissa Thompson. It's a Jamaican cookbook. Um and it go, dives into all the history of all the traditional dishes. It's, it's very informative. Is there a favorite recipe you have from that book or that you that you have been making? Um, no, not yet. Not, not yet. Okay. Yeah. Number. I have, a, I have a, my eyes on the mac and cheese basically. And I <laughs> gifted it to the manager at, uh, at the restaurant and he made the mac and cheese and he brought it in and it was amazing. Ooh. So I was like, okay, that's next. Love like, that. That's also something I need a recipe for. Cause I'm like, not, you know, I don't know. I don't really know how to make that yet. What, what else is on your list? Um, I have a long-term, long-term lifelong obsession with Greek mountain tea that I like to get from Daphne's and Chloe, which is a Greek herb brand, um, and really lovely company that makes very high quality herbs. So I get that. We make it iced. We make it hot. It's very good for you. Love it. it yeah. Um, we were talking about jumpsuits and yes. yeah, I like to get jumpsuits from Alex Mill or Madewell. Those two yeah. things. Madewell does do a great jumpsuit. They, they do, do a great jumpsuit. Um, and number six. Oh my gosh. Number six. Um, I love this like champagne. It's like champagne sun oil what it's like made from it was like gifted oh yeah and it smells like just the best parts of summer and it's like oh it's like made from a wine byproduct which is i think how it came my way yeah spf 30 oil great i mean it was so great to talk to you thank you so much for being on the podcast thank you so much really great questions